All right. So, uh, Mark, tell the audience a little bit about what you do. Yeah, uh, my name is Mark Haney. I am the host of the Mark Haney Show. And this is a show that's about entrepreneurship and venture capital and winning. I'm also founding partner of The Growth Factory, which is a startup accelerator with an accompanying venture fund and the Backyard Advantage. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, out of all those things, you know, what, what would you say is taking most of your time, you know, like most of your energy, your time, your focus? You know what? I, I love doing my show. Uh, we do it once a week and it airs on Money 105.5. Then it's on podcast as well. And so it's not a huge time consumption, but it's fun to do. It's a great way to meet people. It's mm -hmm. a great way to share stories of winning. And so I really enjoy it. But I think what I spend most of my time in is the, the backyard advantage, right? I mentioned the growth factory, mm -hmm. which is we've got 100 investors. We've got 100 plus mentors. And we've invested into 34 companies in the last 17 months. And wow. so that group of people, we have, I don't know how many corporate partners, but that group of people is what we call the backyard advantage. And we're all working together to help each other succeed. And it's all around the focus of entrepreneurship and driving economic development for the Sacramento region. Mm, okay. So entrepreneurship, you know, the first thing that comes to mind right now in recent events is um, <laughs> the Silicon Valley bank collapsing, right? So, you know, what, what, what sort of effects do you think it has on like startups and entrepreneurship, that sort of event? Yeah, I think that kind of event, we had uh, a handful of portfolio companies that had money in that bank. Mm. And so they had some short-term chaos, mm -hmm. but nobody lost a lot of money. But I, but I do think that uh, it'll have an effect on the confidence level with smaller banks, even though the Silicon Valley Bank is like the 16th largest bank in the country, mm -hmm. it's it's having a, a little bit of an effect on the confidence for the smaller, more regionally sized banks. And so we want to make sure that we have um, adequate uh, availability of cash. Mm -hmm. And so if you're sitting on a lot of cash, uh, there is some wisdom around making sure that it's not all lumped into one bank. But for startups, mm -hmm. I think it's it's probably more than that because the Silicon Valley Bank represented a nice lending institution for startups and provided different different kind of services. So I think other banks like Five Star Bank here locally will mm -hmm. end up stepping in and filling some of those gaps. And mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately there'll be a short-term lack of confidence, but I think it'll it'll come back around. But more mm -hmm. broadly than that, the overarching economy is filled with a lot of uncertainty right now. And so venture mm -hmm. capital as an asset class is being a little bit more cautious about deploying their capital. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I saw this funny meme on uh, Twitter. Elon Musk posted it. And it's the classic meme where there's like a guy and he's like wondering which button to press. There's two buttons. And one button is like, 
putting your monies in banks, but then <laughs> banks collapsing and the other buttons, putting your money in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's collapsing. So it's like a hard choice, you know? <laughs> That's funny. Well, what, you know, what's interesting is right now we're seeing Bitcoin rising, mm-hmm. not all this uncertainty. There's obviously a risk appetite and all of some of that money is going into Bitcoin mm-hmm. and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing that climb, but I think overall there's still money on the sidelines, but they're just waiting to deploy it. And because you can get four or 5% having the money in the bank right mm-hmm. now, why not just pa- hit pause for a second, shore up your assets. A lot of money is being put into cash right now, mm-hmm. waiting for opportunity because it's coming. I think we'll see consolidation within the startup community and probably a lot of opportunity for those that have cash. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, that's when I think of like the advice you just gave is like, hey, making sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? And all in one bank, maybe put it into different baskets just in case one collapses. So, you know, as an investor working with so many entrepreneurs, like what other sort of like, I mean, you've seen many fail, you've seen many succeed. What other like common mistakes would you say um, the the startups that fail do, you know, like any any pitfalls that, you know, startups can avoid the mistakes that you know, uh, the failed ones do? There are a lot of them. There's a lot of problems, but I think there's really three questions you've got to get right if you want to build a successful company. Number one is how compelling is your vision? If you can get that question right, that can get you off to the right, on the right foot because nobody builds a truly great company alone. And so one of the biggest challenges that I see for founders is they don't build the right founding team. Some try to go it alone. Others go um, go along with uh, less than stellar co-founders or less than stellar teammates. And at mm-hmm. the beginning, you really need to have a group of people that is bought into that vision. So if your vision is not exciting, then people aren't going to come along and help you. So that's number one. That's got to be right. In fact, you see people quit occasionally on all kinds of things in their life. It doesn't have to be a startup. It could be anything. And some of the reason is because their dream is just not that exciting. And so they don't mm-hmm. want to stay with it long-term because it's not that compelling. So I'd say, number one, you got to get that, got to get that vision right. Mm-hmm. But number two, the, this is the classic challenge that I think we all run into, but startups uh, are more greatly affected it, uh, by it because it's, they're so fragile. But what are you going to do with what you got, right? How are you going to allocate your resources? How are you going to allocate your time? Um, Because we have all these strengths and we have weaknesses and we have opportunities, but founders tend to go off in 10, 15, 20 different Mm -hmm. directions because we're we're entrepreneurial. And so Mm -hmm. we, we chase shiny objects. And so narrowing down and focusing on what's most important now is something that I see founders um, failing to do in many cases, mm-hmm. I think we all do, but the more we can navigate that decision, what are you going to do with what you got, the better off that you're going to be. Um, and I think that's important for uh, a family. That's important mm-hmm. for the president of FedEx, right? We've got mm-hmm. to get those decisions right because allocation of resources is everything. Starting with you, what are you going to do? What am I going to do today to help the cause? And uh, we don't get those decisions right a lot of the times. And then the other thing that I think what I see pretty often is a lack of commitment. So we have people that have 
decided on what they want to do, but their commitment level is not enough because what hmm. happens with people, I think it's just like a workout or something like that. Hey, I'm going to start, I'm going to go on a diet. Okay. Hmm. Well, it's easier if you can make it a lifestyle, right? I'm going to start working out. It's easier if you can make it a lifestyle. And if you decide that you're going to build a company, it's better just to make it a, a, a commitment. It's just what I do. It is where I, it's what I'm doing. And so I think that uh, that commitment level is, uh, is everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you with all those points. Um, the second one, though, could be a little tricky because, you know, there's like, I guess, uh, another sort of perspective where some people think, okay, well, if I am juggling five balls, right, and let's say two of them drop, I still have three, you know, so, so you hear some people with that sort of philosophy. And then, you know, at the same time, there's a balance of like making sure you can focus on one thing instead of and do it really well before you have all those things. So how, how do people balance that? You know, how do you know when you should maybe experiment with five different balls and juggling it versus just focusing on one first and doubling down on that? Well, it's interesting. So that's the, you said the second one. So what are you going to do with what you got? Sounds like that's what you're, what you're talking to. You're in marketing, you do mm -hmm. AB testing and you need enough data in order to place your bets. And I think that that's sort of the same message that I would give to a startup founder is, and what are you going to do with what you got? What you got? You got you to test a few things. And the ones that are working, once you know it's working, now it's time to uh, go all in or bet bigger on mm -hmm. that opportunity. And I think I can tell you, unless they're all working great, you probably shouldn't be juggling five balls. You should be looking to get one right first. Right. And instead of juggling, if you're, if you're doing some A-B testing with five different opportunities, okay, I can see that as a, a way of doing it. But the more that you can narrow in on one, mm -hmm. one vision, one opportunity, and then attack that. And if it happens to be an opportunity that most people don't see, Right, mm -hmm. it's it's, a, it's an opportunity that most people might bet against, but you know firsthand because you've been the been in the trenches working on it, and you're mm -hmm. betting big on it. Now you're going to have a home run, right? Because nobody else, you're the first one in, and so that's where you want to be is making that discovery on something that most people would bet against, but you're you you happen to know because you've been working it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know that's that's really interesting. You say that <clears throat> because um, yesterday I had. Do you know, uh, his name is Matthew Stewart, Matthew Kennedy Stewart. Yeah, he was, I do or not. yeah he was the um, uh, chairman of the global uh, board of directors of the uh, entrepreneurs, um, EO, entrepreneurs. Oh, oh, EO? Oh, okay. Yeah, EO, yeah. So he was, um, he did that for a few years. And um, one of the things he was saying is exactly what you said. It's like, you know, he was, he had a construction company um, and then he started doing chemicals. And he's like, and then the chemicals went failed because he knew nothing about chemicals, you know? So it's like, stay within your core competencies and then do it really well before you go out and start something else. So, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, we, I mean, one of the things that um, I think it's important to do is I got a big dry erase board behind me and, you know, think about, you know, you can do these um, SWOT analysis. A lot of people don't take time to really think about what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are what they can get paid for, what the world needs. They don't take time to 
put that on a board and think about it. They just mm-hmm. hear a shiny object. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with the construction guy. Mm-hmm. He saw chemicals as an opportunity, didn't know anything about it. But if you can, if you can draw the dots to something that you are good at, that you mm-hmm. love, that the world needs and that you can get paid for, now you've got something that uh, could be the winning combination. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's so huge. Just understanding your strengths, understanding what you're good at and, and, you know, understanding what per- with your personality type, what would you really excel at, you know, because everybody, you know, like a storyteller or someone that's captivating probably wouldn't enjoy sitting behind a screen crunching numbers all day, right? They might be miserable. So having the self-awareness to understand, you know, who you are. So personally for you, like, you know, when I think of you, I think of like high energy, you know, someone who's out there attacking the world, you know, going, 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 like almost like an athlete, you know, um, so like, have you found sort of, you know, how did you find yourself? You know, how did you understand your personality and what you're good at? Hey, well, I appreciate that. Uh, when you don't have talent, you bring energy. So I have, uh, my mom told me that when I was a kid. So I, I tend to bring the energy and then mm-hmm. hopefully I get good at certain things along the way, but there's a lot of things I'm not good at. And mm-hmm. I, I think having the, awareness to know what you're not good at is helpful. And then putting those people in your life that can help you shore up, shore up your weaknesses, because mm-hmm. um, I agree, play to your strengths, but realize you're not going to do anything truly great on your own. You mm-hmm. need people to help you, especially if you're building a business. Nobody builds a truly great company alone. You right. need people to help you do that. And so along the way, I, um, done a lot of this uh, visioning uh, with myself and what I and I think what what I what you like doing oftentimes is something that you can get good at even if you're not naturally good at that so mm. I like creating opportunity for people I I built mm. some security camera companies and we sold them years ago and along the way people we had like 300 employees but people would start in the company and then as they as the company grew and as they did better within the company, they found opportunity. Sometimes it was buying a house. Sometimes it was uh, working in an exciting occupation that they wouldn't have uh, been into before. Other t- other guys were becoming millionaires. And when mm. these opportunities happen for people, for me, that was rewarding. And, and so that's really what I'm on a mission to do. So I created a mission statement around creating opportunity for my family, for my friends and my community. And as they succeed, I succeed. So that's really my North star. And I did it by just doing some soul searching and some dreaming. I took a summer and, you know, with a dry erase board and uh, decided where I wanted to go and and kind of created a vision for where Mm. I wanted to take it. And that vision has been kind of manifesting over the last several years. Hmm. Interesting. So tell me a little bit more about that you know, that soul searching, that summer, the soul searching summer. Where you summer to soul searching. That's what it was <laughs> yeah. actually. Right. Um, how, how did, did it like come to you? Like, did you read a book? Like how, how did you decide to do that? Interesting question. So I sold my companies mm-hmm. and I stayed with the company through uh, a transition. We we're the largest security camera distributor in the country. And we merged with another large distributor and simultaneously private equity came in. And so I helped with that transition process. Mm-hmm. And then I left the company because, uh, you know, I just wanted to do something else. It was feeling a little bit corporate. So I ended up leaving. I think for the first time, I 
I had some time on my hands. So mm. uh, what do I want to do? It's kind of interesting mm. to be unemployed in a certain way. Now, I still own a handful of companies, but I wasn't directly running them. So I was mm. more like an investor. And uh, so that was fun. So I doubled down on the security industry and I ended up investing into a real estate company, into a construction company. And then I started my podcast and my radio show. And that period ended up uh, becoming sort of like I transformed from being a security camera salesperson to really somebody that wanted to help uh, to help Sacramento entrepreneurs because I believe I've always believed in building from the inside out. So get yourself mm -hmm. right, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, mm -hmm. get your family right, and then get your community right. Get your neighborhood right, get your community mm -hmm. right. So that's really, I, I took sort of that philosophy that summer and said, that's what I want to do is kind of work from the inside out and that led to the mission statement. And uh, along the way, I realized that helping other entrepreneurs was really the kind of the, the kind of opportunity that I enjoyed from a business standpoint. From mm -hmm. a family standpoint, I'm building a family compound. It's called Haneyville. And so mm -hmm. that's creating this incredible opportunity for my family and me and my wife to, to sort of do some discovery about how to build the strongest uh, family possible. And, and the most magical place on earth outside Disneyland is, is this family compound we call Haneyville. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, you know, my vision for, um, for my family and for my community vision. I really want to ignite an entrepreneurial revolution right here in the hometown I love. And, and we're doing that through the Backyard Advantage, this tribe of people that I've rallied to to help start help these startups community the startup community and all these startups we're invested into. Hmm. Interesting. So it's been more than the summer. The summer was just the kickoff. Right. I see. So it's a process over time. I think so. Mm. But you got to I think one of the first things we have to do is create a north star, right? Mm. Where do we want to go? And the more that we can imagine what that looks like, for me, it looked like uh, successful business partners in my backyard that all love each other, right? Mm. Create that synergy. My family of security companies, there's a lot of love there. We saw synergy within this family of companies. And so I decided I wanted to create my own karitsu, which is a Japanese term for like a family of companies. I mm. saw that in the security industry with uh, Sanyo and Panasonic and, and other Japanese companies in the electronics industry mm. were actually related to each other, wow. creating this karitsu. Now, and I did that a little bit within my security companies. Mm -hmm. Now, what if we could do that with Sacramento companies? Mm. And so that's really what I'm working on. Hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. So, um, so I think that's I think that's huge with like understanding that you're not going to figure it out all at once. You know, I think a lot of young kids and sometimes it might be society that's putting pressure on them. It's like you have to figure out what you're going to do by the time you're 21, you know, and and like it's a process. You know, it's like we're putting so much pressure and people, all these kids are feeling like they need to figure it out. But like understanding patience that things take time, you know, and things are going to evolve over time will take a lot of that stress away from them, you know. Well, there's nothing like hard work that gets rid of stress, because if you dive mm -hmm. into something, you tag, go get a job and outwork all your teammates you know, the stress level goes down. You go to the mm -hmm. gym and get a great workout, the stress level gets down. I think when you sit around and wonder what you're going to do and worry, right. well, there's the stress because you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Take some action and all of a sudden, uh, opportunity comes to you that you didn't expect. 
Right. Exactly. So I'm curious about that family compound. You know, I think that's awesome. I, uh, you don't really hear that often, you know, creating a place where all your family can be at. So how do you balance that though? Because, you know, like you hear these um, kids, right? Um, you know, these kids that resent their parents and they resent their parents because their parents put pressure on them to do things that they might want to do, but they don't want to displease their parents, right? So they might not say no. It's like, hey, you have to be a doctor. And then like they go through all these years, 10 years, 12 years of being a doctor and they figure out they're miserable and they start to resent their parents, right? Because their parents pressured them and forced them. So how do you balance that? You know, like how do you balance that of like having a vision for your family, but not being a little too aggressive to where, you know, they don't give you feedback. Oh, well, that, I think that's the, uh, that's the key to building any relationship is having it be a two-way street. And they, they need to have ownership in this process um, mm. and ownership. In the, now, my kids are 35 and 36 years old, and I have mm. eight grandchildren. So they, uh, they want to be out there, right? They, I mm. got lucky. My kids don't resent me and... Mm -hmm. uh, and they're great parents as well. So I've got eight, these eight grandkids and it's, it's kind of a fun tribe. And so there's, um, you know, I don't sense this resentment because mm. we've created this sense of ownership and this pride of what we're building together. I think mm. that's true within a company too. If, uh, if, if you come down as the hammer directing over pushing mm. within a business, your employees might sort of resent that a little bit. Right. It's got to be sort of a shared, uh, vi shared vision, shared mm -hmm. opportunity, shared purpose. Um, and maybe everybody feels this ownership in the, in the outcome. And I think if a parent is out there uh, putting this expectation on mm -hmm. uh, a child that's, uh, in the, it's an adult child, well, the adult child kind of needs to grow up at some point. Mm -hmm. and uh, decide what they want to do. And that's probably natural at some point that you flee, uh, you flee the roof. You no longer have to take orders from your parents when you, when you, when you get to a certain age. And um, it's kind of a rite of the passage and it's kind of growing up. And I think that I would tell that person that don't need your parent for financial support. So go mm -hmm. out and get some wins, go out and build yourself some, uh, some freedom through a uh, through some wins in, in a business or through a good job and you can do what you want once you've got that freedom but if you're still on mommy's titty then <laughs> maybe you do need to take orders mm -hmm. right yeah that makes sense you know like um building the responsibility for yourself and being able to go out there and do things on your own without you know relying too much on your parents yeah. go show them what you can do go prove it right absolutely prove it yeah. So your son, you know, um, Marcus, right? He, uh, I guess he proved it to you, right? He went to Afghanistan and you remember, yes. Yeah. So, um, and then I know you guys have a really good relationship with each other. You know, I think I saw you guys um, working together on Allegiant Giving, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, helping veterans. So like, I often hear that, you know, like, especially in politics, like, oh, we got to take care of our veterans. We got to take care of our veterans. And it seems like nobody's doing anything. It's like all talking points, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, um, what does that look like? You know, what does taking care of veterans mean? Well, you know, I think that's a good question because uh, first of all, my son, Marcus, he's a Marine, went mm -hmm. to Afghanistan, as you mentioned, was wounded in action, shot in the leg. He's okay. So don't worry about that. But I think he came back a stronger person mm. and he now is 
I would say helping veterans, but I think taking care of them isn't the way that I would characterize what we do because mm-hmm. uh, veterans are uh, America's finest people. They're people mm-hmm. that have the this courage and this selflessness, and they've gone to help our country when most people would not do that. So mm-hmm. when they get out of the military, um, most of the time they don't need to be taken care of, mm-hmm. but I think they they might need to be guided to some great opportunities. So that's really what we do is we are building America's finest workforce through military veterans. And so as they get out of the military, there's this transitioning process where they are deciding what they want to do. And we help them with the training programs that they might want to be thinking about so that they can put themselves into a dream job. Sometimes that's entrepreneurship. Mm. Other times that might be uh, something uh, rebuilding America's infrastructure. But in any case, these are great human beings that really don't need to be taken care of. They just need maybe uh, a little bit of a gui- guidance that mm. uh, can help them to uh, get back in the game in the, in the best way possible and unleash their potential. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, giving them a new purpose, you know, because their purpose was going out in war, you know, and defending the country. And then now they come home. And I could imagine it's like, what do I do? You know, like, it's like a lot of confusion, almost like you lose a sense of purpose. Yeah, you know, we're luckily we're in a peacetime for the most part right, right now. And like when my son was wounded, I mean, he was in the most dangerous place in the world, firefights and, I, you know, bombs going off and all that. He was in a bad spot. Most mm-hmm. people aren't in that spot, but many people have still made that sacrifice or made that commitment to our, our country. So mm-hmm. when we first started, uh, Allegiant and helping veterans. We were dealing with combat wounded veterans, and you know they have a whole set of needs that um, are almost unimaginable for most of us, right? Coming up, blowing up with no leg, you know, people uh, losing legs and losing limbs, and seeing their brothers die in, in action. Right? There's a whole set of uh, challenges that um, that they they faced. Now we aren't dealing with that as much. Now we're mm-hmm. dealing a little bit more with um, maybe just a feeling of solitude where I've had, I've had this great job where I was, um, helping change the world. And now I'm out after several years and it's time to figure out something new. And, uh, and they do, I think in many cases need to find their purpose. So I think you're right on, but many of them want to do something that's, uh, as cool as, you know, being in the military. Mm-hmm. So they don't right. want to just come and work for, uh, some uh, minimum wage job or something like that. They right. want to do a great job where they can utilize their leadership skills and the other kinds of things that they can do that most people um, might not understand is possible. Mm-hmm. Have you found like, have you found a correlation of like what they would be great at? You know, like you said, that it's not a minimum wage job. But have you seen like maybe an industry or a specific role where they're like, will really excel at? I think, uh, different industries. I think it's it's all across the board for sure. But I think some of the common strengths that we want for any employee, whether you're going to be um, in construction, whether you're going to mm-hmm. be um, really anything, a police officer, you need to have people that uh, work well as a team, as mm-hmm. a team, teammate. You need to have people that uh, can think on their feet, right? And improvise mm-hmm. when uh, the challenges uh, happen and they're unexpected and that people look up to. And a lot of times that starts with courage. It takes the mm-hmm. courage to 
kind of put yourself out there as a, as a great teammate because I see, you know, as a guy that's led uh, businesses and, and teammates before, my best teammates were the ones that are willing to take orders, but they'll also stand up to the boss, right? If if they, they can't be the type of uh, uh, employee that shows up, uh, you know, at eight o'clock and five o'clock and punches a time card and sort of uh, shuts it off and doesn't care anymore. They want the type of people that are engaged to try to make the entity better. And mm -hmm. many times that means standing up to authority uh, in a positive way that helps uh, get the, you know, get the ball advanced for the, for the organization. So I think people getting out of the military have been challenged with that, right? They have to take orders because there's a, there's a strict chain of command, but they're also challenged to, uh, advance the mission. And so you have to be able to speak up for yourself. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you're mentioning like, you know, that sentence where you said that, you know, your son was like out in war, you know, being shot at bombs, you know, people's limbs missing that. I gave me like a visceral feeling, you know, because I have a son, I mean, he's two, but you know, like I couldn't even imagine, him going out and fighting like that. So was it hard for you, you know, like knowing that your son was being shot at and this, I mean, naturally for me, I'm like, I, I might feel like I want to go, you know, I want to go over there, pull, you know, take a gun with me and like, you know, protect my son and like, work, you know, be alongside him. So like, how did you like cope with that, you know, as a father? Yeah, that was one of the more challenging times. Um, I could say that it brought my wife and I closer. We've been married like 38 years. We this was, you know, 10 years ago when he was uh, 11 years ago, something like that, when he was in Afghanistan. But during that window of time, it was uh, it was scary times. I remember we uh, were fortunate enough to become friends with Marcus's friends, and so as they were all deploying, we rented out the restaurant in 29 Palms, California, and. We got his Marine buddies together and the wives and everybody. And I rented out the whole restaurant and bought dinner for everybody and was able to give them sort of a pregame pep talk the night before. And, you know, we hugged each other and, you know, a lot of tears, some laughter. And, um, you know, I got a sense to who the people were that were fighting alongside with him, mm. beside him. And I knew that I knew there was something special in, in that group of people that that did give me some amount of comfort. But it, but my son, uh, my my grandson was born uh, while Marcus is, was in Afghanistan. So Marcus had a kid while he was gone. Wow! And so that was kind of a, a challenge. You know, he's on our mind the whole time, and mm -hmm. a challenging thing happened. But I was helping veterans already at that point, so mm -hmm. I was working with wounded vets right. uh, during that period of time. And so I got to be thinking about him a lot while I was working with these veterans, and it was kind of interesting. He, he was shot in June, June 7th. And in May, I was in San Diego and I was working with wounded vets. We were playing wheelchair basketball together at Balboa uh, Medical Facility. And this is the Wounded Warriors, working with the Wounded Warrior Project. And this was uh, the weekend before Memorial Day. And two weeks later, we got the phone call that Marks had been shot. And so he ultimately had four surgeries and, and he ended up coming back to that same hospital that I was at two weeks earlier in San wow. Diego. And so my son was in that same place and it was so 
uh, surreal mm. to be um, in, to, for my son to be a wounded warrior and being with this uh, set of wounded warriors that I had been helping just weeks earlier. And so I'd say it was really a surreal time and we didn't get to talk to him a lot, but, um, but when we did, uh, it was, uh, we knew that it was a challenging time that anyway, mm -hmm. I could share more, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not like sending your kid off to college, right? A lot no. of people freak out when their kid goes off to college. And, um, this is a little bit different. This isn't, we knew where they were going. Right. We, we knew people who had already got killed mm -hmm. in the, the area where he had was going. We, it was, right. it was at the height of the, um, the conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. I mean, it's like, I, you know, I try to put myself in your shoes. It's like, you know, I would probably be thinking about him nearly all day, you know, like, is he still alive? You know, is he, oh, yeah. is he well, okay? The first time, you know, it's interesting because you do things to try to take your mind off it. And then, it, and then you do things that put your mind on it. First thing we did, and it wasn't take, to take the mind off it. We have a place in Cabo. We like to go to Cabo yeah. San Lucas. And so uh, he leaves to go to Afghanistan and uh, the family goes to Cabo mm -hmm. and uh we we I get the call in the middle of another in the middle right. of the night while we're in Cabo and it's I hadn't talked to him since he had been gone and so he was in Afghanistan and I said uh, okay so how you know I was kind of nervous because I first time I talked to him I was laying in bed with my wife and are you okay and yeah I'm like is it scary and, and he says only when they're shooting at us mm -hmm. and that was a pretty uh, sobering moment mm -hmm. and that was probably about a week or two into uh, his deployment mm -hmm. and uh, so that really set the tone then his son was born a little while later and so I think anytime I was around a person that reminded me of my son uh, it really brought back and certain music it brought back uh, my son's memory and so there's some special um relationships that were created throughout that period of time mm -hmm. yeah yeah it seemed like you know you coped with it in a way that you're you're still trying to help you know in some sort of capacity right like helping veterans wounded veterans even though you can't help your son directly you could still help mm -hmm. other people that were affected by the war you know so yeah. um, and then also bringing the families together and you know staying positive and building that relationship to support each other that support system. So, yeah, I think that's, um, that's very courageous of you, you know, on your end and, and thoughtful of you on your end. Thank you. I appreciate mm. it. Um, it was, it was the most humbling moment. This is an interesting thing too, because most people have never been there. So I rented out the restaurant. I was there giving the football coaching speech <laughs> and next morning, um, they all get on the buses, right? And they're backing up their their gear to to get on the buses. And it's, you know, a lot of tears. A lot of the families are there kind of with the sand send off. And there's hundreds of Marines getting on these buses to, you know, to get to the um, to get to the airport to so they can go. And um, it was the most humbling moment of my life because there I am back with the women and the children the, and the mm. old people while the real men are going off to fight. And that's mm. a very humbling thing. Most people have never sat there or stood there 
you know, and you see the people where they're going and you're out there with the women and children, the, the, the mm -hmm. people that can't do it or haven't had the uh, opportunity to, uh, to raise their hand and get in the game. And that's a humbling thing to, mm -hmm. to, to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you feel like you were a lesser man? Yeah. Mm. And uh, I mean, how did you, you know, cope with, I mean, I hope you don't feel that way. You know, do you still feel that way sometimes? Like, how did you cope with that? I, yeah, I do. I feel like that's America's finest. Uh, you know, I feel like entrepreneurs are the heroes of the American economy. So I have entrepreneurs at the highest level. They take risks. They make sacrifices. They, um, you know, they put it all off on the lines so that they can create opportunity and figure out a way to change the world. So I have entrepreneurs at this uh, super uh, on this pedestal. I have people who have fought for our freedom at a much higher pedestal. Mm. Those are the true heroes. So I, I guess what we do in life when we aren't um, in a position, when we're part of the old people or part of the people that aren't qualified to go off and, and fight, um, you know what? We do what we can. And so mm. I help, uh, I do what I can, right? I think we all just do what we can. I was, I have a little experience in small business, so right. I do what I can for, for the small business community. And, you know, that's how I, that's how I live with myself. And, mm. um, and it's, it's rewarding because I, I'm seeing really good things happening and we help the military veterans and, um, it's rewarding to be able to do that when you're, when you're not in position to, uh, be on the front line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's great that you have, you know, you've actually felt humbled by that, you know, some people, you know, if they're too like into themselves, or their ego, you know, is in the way they might not feel that sort of feeling. So it seemed like, you know, you were able to check your ego and really understand that, like, hey, like, I'm humbled by this experience. And, you know, what can I do to help support my community? Well, there was probably... I don't know, 500 family members there. I think that we were all humbled. They, right. Everybody had that same um, feeling. Mm -hmm. And maybe as a guy, right? Because if I saw something happen and some lady getting, uh, you know, pushed around by uh, a bum out there outside my office, I would have right. to step in and do something yeah. about it. That's how, I mean, that's what a, that's what a man does. Mm -hmm. But this is a different thing. These yeah. people are super qualified people and they're who we want on the front lines protecting us. And if you aren't man enough, it's time to admit it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I had, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I admire you so much, Mark, you know, you are, um, you're humble. You're someone that has a strong vision. You have high, high energy, you know, you're a people person, you bring people together. So, and you have this strong sense of self-awareness, right? So, um, I mean, those are qualities and a great leader, you know, and someone like I could see a governor, you know, a governor, someone that exemplifies that. You're being a little too <laughs> kind, uh, Fong, but I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not into politics. And, right. Uh, yeah, so I know you'd rather stick to entrepreneurship. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So like, let's say you were though, like just for, um, just for fun, you know, like, what would you do to fix, um, you know, whether it be California or Sacramento, you know, um, besides like entrepreneurs, you know, bringing more entrepreneurship, you know, helping, helping veterans, guiding them towards the right direction after they come back from war. What else would you do to fix California? What are problems you see within California and Sacramento and what would you do to fix it? You know, entrepreneurs solve the world's biggest problems. It's one of my, one of my markisms and it could be mm -hmm. 
disease, it could be security, it could be convenience. Entrepreneurs in the private sector end up solving these problems. So I guess on a, from an overarching standpoint, I would identify the issues, whether it be homelessness mm -hmm. or anything else that we're working on. And I would tend to work towards bringing the private sector in to help solve those problems through either mm -hmm. public-private partnerships to work on those products, problems, or um, get them out of the government's hands. Because what ends up happening with the government, it gets it's, it's too big mm -hmm. and it becomes very bureaucratic. That can even happen on the private sector with big corporations. But entrepreneurs can get in there and wrestle these problems to the ground and solve them. Mm -hmm. And when there's... Um, risk associated with it with an upside you get a different kind of approach to solving problems so i definitely would lean toward uh bringing the private sector in to help solve some of these challenges mm -hmm. you, you you name a challenge and i would probably figure out a way to bring the private sector in right exactly yeah i i completely agree you know bringing people that are problem solvers you know people that are not just there to Let's they stay in power, you know, they're incentivized to stay in power and govern. It's like, hey, people are that are literally solving problems every single day. How can we get those people involved in solving, you know, the state problems or local problems as well? You bet. And if their lawmakers create an opportunity for, excuse me, an environment for entrepreneurs to thrive, right? A little bit lower regulation in many mm -hmm. cases, um, easier to uh, get through the system, get through the bureaucratic system to get licensing and all these different things that we have to do as business people. Um, these are things that if we can make it easy for us to work hard, mm -hmm. then, you know, we're going to have a, a more, uh, I don't know, efficient economy, which right. ultimately will uh, drive a lot of uh, positive outcomes and create a lot of freedom for people, a lot of wealth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's the, there's definitely a necessary um, a necessity for like, for lawmakers or people in power to be humble, you know, to understand that they might not have all the answers. And if something is not being, you know, solved for a long period of time, it's like even a company, you know, if like you have this problem and you can't solve it, it's like maybe it's a good idea to bring other people, you know, who have solved in the past or maybe have, you know, um, you know, maybe expertise in that and get their opinion, you know, and, and get their take on how to best solve it. I agree. And I think you see uh, different, you know, the government's got these different layers, right? We've got the local mm. government and uh, they're, they're uh, at least in, you know, the, the town, towns I live in, they're not quite as, it's not like the Republican Democrat thing where mm. it's super divisive, um, like, like it is on the national stage. Mm. But I think, you know, we need, there you can see that when people want to work together for the common good, that it's really good for the town. That's mm -hmm. I'm in Rockland. Rockland's a very well-run uh, community. Roseville's mm -hmm. very well-run, responsible growth and lower crime. Great place mm -hmm. to live. And you can see what's happened is people from all over the you know from the Bay Area for sure, from Silicon Valley and San Francisco and LA, they're moving here. We're mm -hmm. growing in, Sac in the Sacramento region because we've managed things well, we've created a great place to live, despite what California uh, might be doing in terms of being overregulated, maybe overtaxed. And, um, you know, a lot of people are leaving California, but Sacramento's growing. And I think that's mm -hmm. because of uh, uh, better than average local leadership. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, isn't that funny how it works though? It's like supply and demand. It's like, you know, if you have poor leadership, if you have poor policies, people leave the company, right? Um, you know, California, I think I saw that uh, for the very first time since, what was it, the 1900s or 1800s that we're losing people, people are leaving California. And so it's kind of like a red flag. It's like, hey, maybe, why are people leaving? You know, it's like, is it the high cost of living? Is it, you know, maybe policies that, you know, that um, are too much for them to, you know, to stay. And then so, so now, like, it makes you more competitive, you know, it's like, okay, I need to step up my game to like fix these problems to bring people back in, you know, it's, it's simply supply and demand. I think so. And I think when COVID triggered a lot of that uh, kind of a wake up call where people decided, Hey, maybe this is the time where I should be thinking about where I want to locate, where would I want to locate? Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I want to be around people that I care about. So I'm here in the place that I grew up. But I think other people looked at uh, the the world and where they want to live. And a lot of people chose Sacramento because we've got great people. It's not all the weather and the proximity to the Bay Area and to the to the to the mountains. That's part of it. But a lot of it's it's the people that are here. And it's uh, I feel like it's kind of like the Midwest. It's we're mm. kind of a, a small town, even though we're not the smallest uh, region in the world. We can come together more like a small town than I think a lot of other uh, cities our size. And I think that's beginning to happen in the entrepreneurial community. And so I, I feel like in many ways, Sacramento's coming together, at least in the business community and the entrepreneurial community. And I think that that's attractive to people that we can get along. Um, mm. But I think the other reason people are leaving California is because our taxes are too damn high, mm. right? Taxes are high, regulation is high, but it's also got, it's a great place to, um, you know, to work on, um, cool cutting edge products because of the talent that we have here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, like, um, there's still so many positives, you know, even though like taxes are high and, you know, um, regulation is high. It's a great place to still do business. You know, there's high demand. Um, like you said, there's great talent. So what are you so, going to do with what you got? Right. You look right. around, what do we, I'm not leaving. What am I going to do with what I got? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, uh, so I, I look at the people that want to leave, go ahead, see you later. But the, mm -hmm. those that are staying, let's work together and figure it out. What do we got? What are we going to do with what we got? Let's work together and figure it out and to make this a better place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, there's definitely, um, you know, a balance, you know, like I know some people are like, you know, that there's two sides, you know, there's some people that say, Hey, we need to just stick with where, where we are at and then figure out how to solve these problems together. And then some people are like, Hey, let's just leave. And then they'll figure it out, you know, that what they're doing is really bad. And so hopefully that teaches them a lesson, you know? Well, there's another group of people too, right? If you're leaving, get the hell out, right? That's mm -hmm. the way I look at it. If you're staying, be a part of the solution. Right. What ends up becoming the, the third group of people or the people that sit back as the armchair quarterbacks and just start bitching about it. Mm -hmm. and that's when, uh, <laughs> that's another group of people that exist out there. And right. uh, I don't know what we're going to do. They either need to, uh, you know, get off the, you know, go ahead and take a leave or jump in the game and try to start fixing it. And so uh, that's my thing is don't complain, fix. Right. Part of something that is fixing it. And we all do our, and I think we have a social uh, uh, you know, kind of a moral responsibility to do that. And I think we have a moral responsibility or an ethical responsibility to be self-aware. Think about, we all have gifts. 
right? We all have something we're good at. I suck at a lot of stuff, but had some success bringing people together. But we have an ethical responsibility to look within ourselves and see what we can bring to the party to make the place better. Mm -hmm. We do. Right. Yeah. We and all that means unleashing our potential, your potential, Fong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know you're doing that. You're helping people to, you know, you're a great marketing person and you're bringing your potential to, uh, to businesses. So we're mm -hmm. working on the, some of the same things and you're helping, you know, you understand marketing in a way that most don't. And for you to be able to bring that uh, is uh, for me that I think that's super helpful but I think it's incumbent on you, and I'm not saying you're not doing this, but it's incumbent on people like you to to bring it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, like it's important to use your skills and your talents, your strengths to help your community um, thrive. You know, and and it's you know, especially as a citizen, but also like as a person. You know, how, how don't resent your parents. Mm -hmm. You know, don't talk about how bad we are. Don't woe is me, cry baby about it. Do right. something. Mm -hmm. Take some action. Absolutely. 100%. So what are you um, excited about, you know, as far as like the next generation of entrepreneurship? You know, like you, um, th this is going to be Gen Z, right? Gen Z is coming up. And some people like uh, bag on Gen Z is like, oh, TikTok is rotting their brains. You know, they're spending so much time on TikTok, on um, Instagram, you know, they're impatient. They want things now. Like, you know, what are your thoughts? And then the future leaders coming up. I mean, you have grandkids, right? And yeah, you know, that's what they said about us in the seventies. Their hair's too long. These damn kids, lazy, all that. Look, every generation is going to be who they're going to be. And so to me, these are the assets of our, um, of our society, right? These fresh minds that understand technology better than I do. And they have creativity that I, I don't have. And we need to figure out a way to back the best and the brightest in order to uh, make the world a better place. And most of that, a lot of that's going to happen through building entrepreneurial teams and creating really cool stuff. So I'm super excited about that. And one of the things I think that helps me to grow is the way I look at it is if we're not growing, we're dying, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if I'm not growing, I'm dying. Yep. And so I get to live vicariously through the most ambitious, driven, cutting edge entrepreneurs in um, in the world. And certainly within Sacramento, mm -hmm. I get to invest into them. I get to learn from them. Sometimes I get to help with a little old man wisdom. And, you know, this, what am I excited about? I'm excited about being around this group of people and mm -hmm. the group of people that is helping this group of people, right? The backyard advantage, our investors are the people that have, uh, you know, many of them have built Sacramento. They've built great mm -hmm. companies in Sacramento. We have leaders of Sacramento as part of this tribe, right? You name, mm -hmm. you think about all the people that have been on my show and, you know, all the leaders of Sacramento said, Mark, I want to help you out. I love what you're doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll pitch in. I'll put some money into this thing to help get it off the ground, right? So we're putting our money where our town is, and then we're redeploying that into these startups. Um, bringing in investor or excuse me mentors that have built and sold companies people who have been there done that these are the type of people that are coming in helping these millennials right or these uh these entrepreneurial people they're not all millennials but mm -hmm. gen z's and yeah there's probably even some baby boomers in there but mm -hmm. we're helping these people because they've got great ideas and they're driven 
Um, mm. So I'm excited about being part of this tribe and seeing it come together because at the, as I said at the beginning, at the heart of this is love. Mm. At the heart of this is love and respect for entrepreneurship and not just love that fuzzy feeling when we, that we get when we really care about somebody. Love is also an action, right? So mm. people are taking action, acts of love that are helping entrepreneurs, opening up doors to make it easier to make a sale, easier to get your startup funded, easier taking the friction out of the challenge. Sometimes it's wisdom, other times, but a lot of times it's connections. Sometimes it's tough love, right? Mm. Sometimes it's like, hey man, think twice, you know, me measure uh, measure twice, cut once type thing. Mm -hmm. Other times it's some basic, uh, uh, you know, common sense stuff, but you know what? It's all for the idea that we care and we're all working for the same mission here to help mm -hmm. these entrepreneurs to succeed. And we all have skin in the game, which is the beauty. That's the difference is waking up to the fact that we all have skin in the game. Not mm -hmm. even, even the people that haven't invested, right? The, the civic leaders like the city of Roseville, the city of Rockland, Eldorado County, Sierra College, the Sacramento Kings, SMUD. We all realize that as Sacramento wins, we win. And who's going to solve this? Entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome, Mark. Yeah, I love your vision for Sacramento. Um, it's very obvious. You can tell immediately how much love and passion you have in ma making our you know, town incredible, you know, making our town vibrant and thriving. So, you know, with Growth Factory, what is, you know, what is sort of like the long-term vision? Like, are you guys going to be, um, I know like some of the things that you mentioned right here, but anything else, you know, that you guys are really eyeballing? Yeah, well, the sky's the limit for the growth factory. Our commitment with Fund One is to invest into 100 companies over four years. We're already mm -hmm. invested into 34 in the last 18 months. As you know, I did a lot of startup investing prior to launching the growth factory. So it's really cool to see uh, success breed success. So some of the companies I invested into prior have had some real success, and they're now jumping in as uh, mentors and investors into the growth factory. So it's mm -hmm. cool to see, you know, uh, this uh, snow kind of like a compounding effect, if you mm. will, of success, that's beginning to happen. So really the long-term vision for the growth factory is to see these entrepreneurs that not only have success, they love each other and they, they're, they're part of the cause. They're good in the backyard, right? They, they get why we do this. We don't invest into people that don't have, um, that don't care about our town, right? They're mm. relentlessly local and we invest if you share the vision for what we're trying to accomplish and kind of like uh, we're help, helping pay it forward. But when you have your success, it's, it's time for you to step up and help the next one in line and help drive uh, growth in the region. So I really think there'll be a compounding effect that, that will take decades to happen. So when you talk about long-term, um, that's, that's what I see happening, that that love will just start, people will start opening their eyes to the fact that we can actually help each other and transform our town. So at the beginning stages of that, medium term, as we invest into these hundred companies, we we see a lot of uh, we see some of those beginning to uh, succeed, and we'll probably start another fund uh, eventually that that uh, so we can uh, keep investing into these startup companies and uh, and really help help them thrive. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, it's also the type of concept that can be taken outside of Sacramento. I think mm -hmm. any town like Sacramento, mm -hmm. can, I mean, if we can do it here in a government cow town like mm -hmm. Sacramento, you can do it in any town. It, and, and what you need is the backyard advantage. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm working on is I'm writing a book about the backyard advantage. Mm -hmm. so I'll be on a TED talk uh, talking about the backyard advantage. I want to make sure that other communities can take this model and this concept and this theory about uh, building the most connected community in the world for local entrepreneurs in their community. So this thing will be, we're capturing the methodology and the, the, some of the processes associated with how to do this so that other towns can do this as well uh, for the good of America. Right, absolutely. I love that. What a great way to end. You know, it's uh, you're such a huge inspiration, Mark, for uh, myself and also for many people in the community. So I'm so grateful, you know, for having you on. Honored so, to be on the show. Yeah. So, um, where can people find you? Yeah, you can go to Instagram at the Mark Haney. Um, the Growth Factory is growthfactory.us. Uh, you can definitely. I'm I'm on Granite Drive. So if you're a local listener um, in the Sacramento area, I'm in Rockland. Uh, along I-80 on Granite Drive, you know, I get a place on the on the freeway in between Tesla and Porsche. It says the growth factory on the outside. So come up and say hello. Awesome. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you, everybody, for listening. See you in the next episode. Bye. All right. Thanks, Paul.